We want to thank you again for making us feel so at home, uh, providing for us. Uh, We've enjoyed so much fellowship today, and it's been a real joy to be with your church family and our Christian family and a blessing. And thank you for praying for us and supporting us. And um, I've noticed this morning when I came in that so many people have these beaming faces. And I thought, wow, these people are just really bright this morning. And then I heard I realized it was the church picnic. All that sunshine shining on you. But it, the, the faces were shining, but I saw some people kind of moving a little slower and getting out of chairs and cars a little harder. And I know how that feels. A couple weeks right before we came back from South Africa, we have some neighbors across the street, and they have some young daughters, and they're usually very shy. And we try to get them to talk to us, and they pretty much only know, mostly the the girls only know Afrikaans. And we still try to talk to them, and they're just shy, hide behind mom. But one day before we came back, it was just getting dark, and the dad's working on the car across the street, and the daughter's in the front yard, and she yells over in Afrikaans, she's saying, Oom, oom, keiki, keiki. And that means, uncle, uncle, watch, watch. I said, okay, I'm watching. And she did some cartwheels. And I cheered for her. I said, yay, good job, good job. I thought, wow, she actually spoke, and she's not so shy, you know. I thought, that's great. Now he has more opportunity. But the bad part was is she turned over and looked at me and said, now it's your turn. (laughs) And I didn't want to disappoint, and I thought, I've done cartwheels before. How hard can this be? It's been years ago. I didn't think about that. Spontaneously, in the front yard, I just started doing cartwheels. And when I landed, I was so surprised. It worked. I can still do them. And she jumped up and started cheering, and she ran to her dad. Uncle did cartwheels. Uncle did cartwheels. So I go in the house, and as soon as I got to the front door, I was doing just what you were doing this morning. All the glory left, and I was limping, and it hurt. So I got inside, and my wife said, what's wrong with you? I said, I just did a cartwheel in the front yard. And she said, you need to watch that kidney, because you know I had that kidney transplant. And I said, the kidney, nothing. The rest of my body is what hurts. It was miserable. And then I walk into the living room, and Jonathan said, I'm glad you clarified you were doing that for the neighbor, because all I know is I'm sitting here in the living room, and I look out the window, and I see my dad doing a cartwheels in the front yard (laughs) with no context. He said, I thought he's he's off his rocker. (laughs) And then I went and sat in my rocker. I was done for the day. But um, I know how you feel. I can sympathize with you. Tonight, I thought we'd do something a little less formal, and I'll explain here in just a minute. I want to share with you what God has to say about certain things that are a big help to us, some tools that we use in South Africa that you use here. I've experienced it firsthand, so I know you use it here, and you're very well at it, uh, very good at it, I should say. But here's the thing. I wanted to share with you personally because it might encourage some of you. Uh, So what are some of the tools that we use in South Africa that you'd have to adapt them for your culture. The culture in South Africa is quite a bit different, even though we're very westernized there. It's a city ministry. Uh, But I thought it could maybe encourage you of certain things you could do here. And before I do that, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what I talked this morning. Just I touched on it just for a minute. Our relationships. If we're going to reach people for the Lord, if we're going to disciple them, it requires building some kind of relationship with people. And we talked about what is the goal of all our relationships. If you think about it, your unsaved family members, your husband, your wife, your children, grandchildren, uncles, aunts, neighbors, co-workers, bosses, school teachers, 
If you think about all the possible relationships that you have in life, what is your goal for those? Do you know the Bible has a lot to say about that? And the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about that. I want to show you just two verses. If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. The Apostle Paul is writing so lovingly to these people. And here's what he says to them in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again. I mean, this is quite a bit of work for him. But here's what he says. Until Christ be formed in you. What he does throughout his different letters in the New Testament is he keeps pointing out this fact that the relationships he has with people have a goal in mind. It's not just to shoot the breeze and talk about sports and talk about Greek mythology or any of these things. It is really to see Christ formed in people. And as I think about that, I think, is that really my goal for my wife, our relationship? Is that my goal with my children? Goal for my coworkers in South Africa? For the people in my church, the people I meet in the grocery store, the person that just cut me off and didn't stop at that stop sign? <laughs> what is my goal for all my human earthly relationships? Christ formed in you. So look at that verse again. Verse number 19. Christ be formed in you. Let's quote that. Christ be formed in you. So my goal for my relationships with all others should be Christ formed in you, right? Even unsaved people, we want to see Christ formed in them. And if you live with that goal in mind with your earthly relationships, you will live a life that is very pleasing to the Lord. And a life that's lived pleasing to the Lord is a very satisfying, the most satisfying life. So that's the answer to satisfaction. All my earthly relationships keep thinking, I want Christ formed in people. That'll please God because I want to please God. And therefore, I will be blessed and honored and, and he'll be praised and glorified. But this isn't the only place he says this. Let's turn now to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. <clears throat> Colossians 1, 28 says, I'll let you get there. Paul again is using the same kind of idea. He words it slightly differently. But here's what he says. He says, Colossians 1, verse 28, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. It's another way of wording it, but he wants to see people complete in Christ Jesus. Perfect in Christ Jesus. He wants to see the Lord formed in people formed in their lives. And if I have that as a goal in mind, it helps me to deal with that really difficult boss or that really difficult person. Do you ever feel like a magnet for people like that? <laughs> I've heard people talk about that. I feel like a magnet. If there's difficult people, they seem to come find me. <laughs> Some days seem like that, don't they? They seem like days where the difficulties just come and find you. In Afrikaans, we have a statement, and I'll say this to our people all the time, and they laugh. And I'll say it in Afrikaans, it's, and that means stay out of trouble. 
And usually they all turn to me and say, I try, Pastor, but trouble finds me. Don't you feel like that sometimes? <laughs> and sometimes difficult people can find us. But if my goal for that difficult person is I want to see Christ formed in them, it kind of changes my perspective. It takes away the pride that I'm right, you're wrong. I don't like that they knock me down every time they see me. They have to correct everything I do and say. It kind of changes your attitude towards them. Well, here are some ways that we found in South Africa that really help with this. And I want to start with this number one. And you all do this well. I have been in some of your homes and seen this firsthand. And I appreciate this. But hospitality. You know, the Bible has quite a bit to say about hospitality. Actually, that word hospitality happens in different forms. But the Greek word in the New Testament happens six times. The Greek, Greek root word. So the word for hospitality happens six times. It happens sometimes, uh, well, let me just say two times in noun form. You know what a noun is, right? It happens three times as an adjective, as a description for certain people. And it happens one time in the verb form, as an action. All right, let me just give you an idea. We won't look at these passages, but I'll just tell you what they are. Romans 12, verse 13, we're told that every believer, it's a description of a believer, and it says that every believer must be given to hospitality. And Paul actually says, pursue hospitality. And that word pursue that he uses sometimes is translated persecution or persecute. You say, how does pursue be translated as persecute? And he's saying to do this towards hospitality, pursue hospitality. And some people say, well, being hospitable is like a persecution sometimes. <laughs> it's not always convenient, is it? But pursue, I think the reason pursue and persecute are used sometimes interchangeably in the scriptures is because of the eagerness about it. When he says pursue, he's showing there's an eagerness about it. Pursue hospitality. And it's for every believer. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it's a qualification for a pastor. And in Titus 1, 8, it's also a qualification for a pastor. In 1 Timothy 5, verse, 8, verse 10, it's for widows. It's talking about widows in the assembly. And it's describing the kind of widows that the church needs to look after. And it says widows indeed. And it gives a description of the kind of widows they should be. And one of the things is, is that they should have lodged strangers. They should have shown hospitality. And that's what it says in that passage. So hospitality we see throughout scripture. And then finally, uh, in Hebrews 13 too, it's commanded. Paul tells all the believers, if Paul wrote Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says... Do not neglect or don't forget to do it. And that's a command. It's not just for pastors anymore. He says it's commanded. We all must do this. Don't neglect it. Because it's so important to build the kind of relationships that are pleasing to God. It's opportunity. It's a tool that we use in South Africa. So we're supposed to command, we're commanded to do it. We're supposed to do it with a motive of love. Do you know the word hospitality? And think about this for a minute. The word hospitality in Greek is philozenia. Some of you know philo, like Philadelphia. We say the, the city of brotherly shove. No, love. <laughs> we have that. So love is philo, but think philozenia. We have in South Africa what's called xenophobia. Phobia is fear, 
and Zena is strangers, fear of strangers. So we had friends in Zambia that we wanted to come down and visit with us in South Africa. And they said, oh no, we are scared to come to South Africa because there's xenophobia. They are afraid of us. They're afraid we're going to come take their jobs and they burn down houses of anybody who's from another part of Africa because they don't want them in South Africa to steal the jobs. It's a fear of strangers. But this hospitality is philoxenia, love for strangers. And that's just the etymology of the word, just to give you an idea. So it's not only commanded, we're told to do it with eagerness, we're supposed to do it also, we're told in 1 Peter 4, 9, to show hospitality without grumbling. It's so easy to turn into that spirit, isn't it? You know how it is. Maybe you have people show, un, show up unexpectedly, or family come in, and after they leave, suddenly it's, I've got tons of laundry to do. I have sheets to do. I have dishes to do. It could be done with grumbling, and Paul warns against that. Uh, Peter warns against that in 1 Peter 4, 9. So that's just a general overview. At this time, now this is where we become uh, not the norm. I'm going to ask my wife to come up. I did the explanation of the Bible, so she's not going to be preaching. She's just going to share testimony. But she's going to help me because hospitality involves the whole family. And you ladies, many of you know firsthand what it is to be hospitable because you do it on a daily basis. But this is, these, this is the first category of one of the main things we do in South Africa that you do well here, but just some ideas of things we do and how to think of it, practically speaking. You know, in our setting, we're in a poor community. So these people, these things work for us. They may not work here, but we keep this specific goal in mind. Christ formed in you. Let's say that. Christ formed in you. So when we have people come, we try to keep that goal in mind, but there's another thing that's in mind. We can worry about this, but the specific goal is not food. <laughs> you can look at me and say, it looks like the goal for your life is food. No, that's not the case. I'm trying to lose weight. It's hard on furlough. You all are feeding us too well. That's the problem. <laughs> I blame you for my, my heaviness. But here's the thing. Fellowship, not food. Think of that when you're doing hospitality. Fellowship is the goal, not food. So don't be so consumed with food. When Jonathan was little, I remember him asking, Mom, why do we need food all the time? Every time somebody comes over, why do we need something? But we can be so concerned about food that we forget about the reason why we have those people in our homes. We talk about when we gather together as Baptists, we build the Baptist bubble because <laughs> we all seem to have food in every event, right? But it's a wonderful opportunity to be used for the Lord. Uh, food was important even in the New Testament. We have Mary and Martha. Food was there, but what was most important? The Lord commented on it. The fellowship. He tells Martha and Mary that, you know, she's doing the more needy thing. The fellowship. And he sets there in a, in a moment, you know, he sets what is important. We often say this, the food, a moment on the lips forever. I won't finish the statement <laughs> lest I get tomatoes thrown at me. But here's the thing, that is not so, it's not forever there. But fellowship lasts forever, not the food. So think about that. If you keep food in mind and you're so consumed with that, it's going to overtake the event or the opportunities. But it's got to be fellowship. You've got to keep that in mind. We love serving together as a family this way, and it's been a way our children can take part. Um, the kids and I are home most of the day between school and you know, all the things that kids have to do, taking care of the home. And uh, having people in our home has been a way that we've been able to 
offer fellowship, offer uh, discipleship to people. And we've had many flops and many mistakes and uncontrollable circumstances like power outages. Uh, one, one year we were having a youth retreat at our house. This was in Zambia and uh, the power went out in the afternoon. Well, I thought we're, we're all set. I have a, a crock pot full of food for them for our last meal after our fifth session. And uh, then the power went out and the food was not cooked. So I thought, what are we gonna do? And I asked someone to start a fire and I thought, surely we can put it on top of the crock pot on top of the grate and then let it finish cooking and we'll be finished. Well, you might know what happened. As soon as that fire got really hot, the bottom of the crock pot broke out and all the food went all over the, the fire. And we smelled the food the rest of the day, but we couldn't eat the food. It smelled so good. <laughs> and uh, We ended up doing peanut butter and jelly, and it worked <laughs> because fellowship, not food, was the priority. <laughs> Another year we were having uh, hosting Thanksgiving for all the Americans in the area that were supposed to be 50, 60 of us, I don't know. And our power went out Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, Tuesday afternoon. So that means Tuesday... Wednesday, Thursday, it didn't come on until everybody left on Thursday. And you could get so, this is not how Thanksgiving was supposed to be. You know, Bill ended up, we didn't have turkey there, we just had chicken. So he ended up frying chicken out over a fire and, you know, we just had to adapt everything. But if we get so caught up in, you know, ladies, we can do this. It's not how I planned it and it wasn't how we planned it. But we could still have that special time, that fellowship together. You could have excuses why you don't want to do this. You know, I don't have a Pinterest ready home. My daughter enjoys going through Pinterest things. My home doesn't look like Pinterest, so I can't do that. Or I'm not a good cook, or I'm intimidated, or I have a really small apartment, or I'm not creative. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of money. Or they don't reciprocate. They don't invite us over. But it doesn't have to be perfect. We're, our focus is on the people and how we can minister to them. So think of it this way. Entertaining says, I want to show you who I am. Here's the way I serve. Here's all the settings. Here's what the pictures are on the wall. This is, you know, I want to impress you with my entertaining. Hospitality says, I want my home to display Jesus Christ. Because what is the goal? Our goal of all our relationships? Christ, let's say that together. Christ in you or Christ formed in you. Yes. So hospitality can also be very evangelistic. Now, I shared with you a little bit this morning about the young man that um, uh, we ended up not even meeting in his house uh, because there was so much going on and so much noise that we ended up going out to my car. You know, I can display hospitality even in my car. Sometimes I'll make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and bring it out to the car and go meet somebody, and because they're nervous about the situation pastor's going to come in and my brothers and sisters are arguing and fighting and cursing and I don't want them around this and the house is a mess and I'll tell them I don't care about that I just want to see you but it's so distracting that sometimes it's easier if I say don't worry about it let's go out to the car and I told you we'll drive to that graveyard where nobody disturbs us because it's nice and quiet (laughs) and we'll just spend time displaying hospitality and having fellowship and the word of the Lord goes forth and Christ is formed in people. So it doesn't have to be just so. It can be a, a very unique. And Mornay got saved. We actually invited him over to our house 
Uh, he, one of the young men in our church told me, Pastor, there's a guy I went to high school with. He's out of high school now, and I've been sharing the gospel with him, but he's very, you know, but I told him about you being my pastor coming from America, and he's interested in, in that. So he said, would, would, you like, would you meet him with me? And I said, yeah, let's invite him over to my house for, for lunch. So we went over and met him, and when we found him, he was in the middle of a hangover, and he forgot we were coming to pick him up. So he came to my house thoroughly embarrassed, and when he was there, I was able to share with him the story of Solomon and how Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes says, life is empty. You know, all this that he's gained, all these wives, all these relationships, all the money, all the merriment, and at the end of his life, it's, it's empty. But he says, I've learned this, to fear God is the answer. And we talked about that and what that means and uh, shared salvation. And it was the very next time I saw Mornay, he comes to me, he says, Pastor, I did what you said. And I love the way he put it. I said, what did you do? He said, I submitted my heart to Jesus Christ. And I said, amen. He got saved. And he's been saved for about, I guess, uh, how many years? Eight? Eight years now. So, yeah, and he's a member of our church. So we praise the Lord for that. So hospitality was a way of having him out of his circumstances and in a place that's more controllable that we could just show Christ to him. Hospitality can serve as a way to or a way to model what a Christian family does, how they sit together at a meal, how they talk. In the culture there, um, everyone takes food back to their rooms. The mom cooks in the kitchen, makes up a plate for everybody, calls them to get their dinner. They take their plate and go sit in front of a TV, in front of a computer, playing games, maybe outside. But they're not together as a family. So people come to our home, and the Lord provided this huge table for us. We can fit 14, really tight, but 14 at it. And... Um, so people come over and we sit together as a family and they can see what do you do what do you what do you talk to each other about and um, bill helps them get conversation going one of our coworkers says that she gives the advice to newly married couples buy a table well most of the homes there don't have room to put a dining room or a kitchen kind of a table there but she said you can have a coffee table almost everybody has a coffee table in front of their tv because the tv is central to everything. She said, buy a coffee table and you can sit around the coffee table together. You're together as a family and you can encourage and edify each other through that. And here's another thing. Hospitality may be needed at the most unexpected times. We've had that many times. As Americans, we are so task-oriented and project-sighted that we neglect those opportunities. But there's times when I'll be out meeting people or talking to people and she is very forgiving and very gracious, but I'll call my wife up on the spot and realize there's a circumstance here that might benefit them coming to our house. And we can sit down at a meal and just talk through these things and maybe share Christ. Or if it's a discipleship opportunity, why don't you come to my house? You two don't seem to be getting along, husband and wife or whatever. I'll call her up on the phone and I'll say, honey, there's a couple people, you know, and I'll tell her who. And I'm wondering if you might mind if we have them over. And um, she's always been very gracious. Hardly ever does she say no. And I don't know why that's always the case, because I know that's not easy. That's a lot of work to ask for someone to do. But it might be needed at the most unexpected times. It's our way to participate in the ministry together. And Bill has encouraged me to keep 
to keep something in the freezer or a bottle of soda or tea or coffee on hand. It doesn't have to be fancy. Sometimes it helps if we have a meal because it kind of gives the people time to relax a little bit and be prepared to talk. And other times it can just be a, something small that we are able to offer. Um, sometimes Bill will call and say, you know, I want to bring someone home and do you need anything at the grocery store? And he'll stop for me. And I have to be willing to say, okay, it doesn't have to be my something homemade or home baked. He, we can buy baked things in South Africa. So he'll stop and just buy a baked good, you know, one little thing and, and it's enough to serve to people. But we're, it's not to show off what I could do or can't do, <laughs> but just to have opportunities there. Be more concerned about making your guests comfortable than making everything perfect. Um, we've had uh, that one young man was over our house not so long ago, and he's a member of our church, and we enjoyed having him over. And as we were sitting there, because they're not familiar with the way we do things in the States, you know, we want him to feel comfortable. And uh, just facilitating the meal, just like when we were at pastor's house today, the food got passed around and everybody just served their plate and just kept going. So we did that in our house and you know, we started off and we started with him first and after he passed the bowl, the next person didn't have a serving spoon for the dish because it was still on his plate because he wasn't used to doing this, you know? So right away somebody said, oh, and they realized it was missing. So one of the kids realized and we didn't want to embarrass him. So they just jumped up and ran in and got another serving spoon and brought it back up. And then um, he realized, oh, wait a minute, I still have the serving spoon. I'm sorry about that. No, it's no problem. It's already in. We already have one in there. And then the next dish came. By the time we were finished passing everything, he ended up, I think, with four serving spoons. <laughs> and serving four. We had nothing to with. But we just because his, his plate was full of all these things. And it was a funny thing. But uh, the object was not to make him feel uncomfortable. We wanted them to feel comfortable because we wanted to see Christ formed in him. Okay. <clears throat> we did share this with pastor's family earlier, but uh, we want people to feel comfortable, so we do everything we can. If you feel nervous about hospitality, having people, and you're wondering if they like the meal or anything. If you're nervous, guess what? Everybody else will be nervous too. Everybody will be on edge. So it's better just to know if it doesn't turn out 100%, then it's okay. You can just enjoy the fellowship. And if you're at ease, you will put your guests at ease, saved and unsaved alike. So we did have a young man also that was a gang member. And he was in prison for a time, and he came, he's saved now, but he came to our house for dinner, and he really enjoyed his time there. But I shared that in our culture, a lot of people are missing their teeth. It's a common thing, young people, and many of them get their teeth pulled. It's almost like a status thing. And teeth become almost like an accessory. So we were sharing earlier that a lot of people will put gold on their teeth and have several sets of teeth so they can change them in and out like you do earrings and things like this. So it becomes an accessory. And um, one time we did have, and this is a side story, but Neighborhood Watch, and I'm on the Neighborhood Watch in our community because it's fairly dangerous, and somebody had just gotten mugged down the street, and one of the guys sent me a message saying that somebody got mugged, and I said, what did they steal? And in his Afrikaner voice, he says, his voice message said, stole her cell phone and her false teeth, her teeth, her false teeth. <laughs> 
And we just looked at each other, why would he steal teeth? And then we remembered the gold that is on the teeth. So we told our kids they had braces at this time. And we said, when you ride your bicycle, don't smile at anybody. <laughs> Keep those teeth to yourself. They cost quite a bit of money. So this young man visited our house. And while we were sitting there, um, we were getting ready to pass the food, and he plops his teeth out because he can eat better without his teeth than he can with his teeth. So he said, buy his glass of water, and our son was across the table from him, and he said, that brother, the whole time he was eating, he said he had a big smile because I looked down at that glass, and those pearly whites were just <laughs> gleaming through the, the water. So we wanted him to feel comfortable. Nobody made a big deal about it, although we did kind of glance at each other every now and then and just keep going, you know. But um, we want to make sure that our guests feel comfortable so that we have opportunity to see Christ formed in them. Give guests opportunity to share their testimony. We do that often when visitors come or, or especially saved people. It was good for our kids to hear how people got saved. You could make that an opportunity to say, how did, how did you come to know the Lord? And it's wonderful to discuss those things or opportunity to share the gospel with them. In our case, we have to know what the cultural um, expectations are for hospitality, things that don't matter here, but that do matter there. Walking the guest out, um, you can't say goodbye to them at, at the door. You walk out and then you go stand for another 15 minutes and talk by their car. Or um, in Zambia, people were ready to, uh, not ready to talk for a long time. They might come for lunch and stay all day and not until after they've left after dinner as they're by the door that they say, oh, pastor, there's something that was really bothering me. <laughs> Where in South Africa, they are ready as soon as they walk in. They're ready to tell you what the problem was and why they didn't like it <laughs> or whatever. But um, being open and giving opportunities for them to talk, whatever we can do to help them to facilitate that with them is what we're trying to set up. In Zambia, when we lived there, we would go to visit people, and this is not very uncommon. They would invite us in, and what little they had, maybe they would make some bread with butter on it and some tea, and then the whole family would leave the house. And you're sitting in there as their guest, just you and your wife maybe, looking at each other, and everybody leaves because it's respect to just let your guest eat their food while you're sitting outside in the, in the, waiting for them to finish. And we thought in South Africa, we probably wouldn't have anything left in our house if we invited certain people into it. <laughs> we would have to stay there to watch it because it's very dangerous there. Uh, but that's not your culture, but the object is, is to just try to adapt to those around you. A flexible person is a person that can minister. And sometimes it's hard to be flexible, isn't it? We get set in our ways, but if we can be flexible with people, and adapting to maybe their personality and how they do things and make them feel comfortable, you'll get further with opportunities. There are times when it's better to feed a full meal to, to help them be um, at ease and other times when a little, you know, give them a, a cup of tea and a cookie that could help. But again, fellowship and not food or discipleship and not food, it doesn't have to be so much work on your part so that there's profit. I mean, that's what we're finding where we are. There can still be profit in even the small little things, but opening our home to them. So the goal is fellowship, not food. You know, it's not just men. We can push this off on our wives because they're the ones maybe making the food. But here's the thing, it's not just a woman's gift necessarily or her specialty. We're told that it's a qualification for a pastor. So God obviously expects us men 
And it's commanded for all believers, and it's told that we should pursue it eagerly. So sometimes it means maybe meeting in a public place, parks, graveyards for privacy, uh, just anywhere that you might just say, okay, let's go meet here if you don't feel comfortable having a bunch of people in your home, but you can still show hospitality. The blood pressure ministry that we've been able to offer as a church has been a way for the church to show hospitality to the community. And um, several of our people had never taken someone's blood pressure. We're just using an automatic cuff, so it's a matter of strapping it on and pushing the button. But it's been a way to um, show hospitality to the community and have opportunities with them. In our ladies' Bible studies, there are times um, that we don't know who's going to come. And, you know, I've prepared for the saved ladies in our group, and all of a sudden some unsaved ladies show up. And our ladies are on board to know okay, this lady has come. We are changing the way we're doing things tonight, and we will adapt to uh, be able to see Christ formed or have an opportunity to, to witness to her. The building that we meet in is a senior citizen building. It's meant for the seniors in the community can come there for the day, and they can play games. They like playing this game called Doms. It's dominoes, but it's played a certain way with certain rules, and it requires a lot of thinking over who has which number. We play, and sometimes I win, and they say, Pastor, you've caught on to this, and I have no idea what I just did. I just go along and say, oh, I know how to match up numbers. And, Pastor, you're a good team member. And then other days they'll say, I don't want you on my team anymore. So I still have not learned how to play doms the right way, but I join in, and we have fun. But we meet and we have a seniors Bible study with all the senior citizens there. It's a way for us to get to know the community. Uh, we have Bible clubs with maybe 50 children will come. And these are dangerous areas. One day we were there with the people in our church doing Bible club. And uh, off to the side, some teenagers and parents were watching because they're wondering what's going on, you know. And um, I was talking to the, the teenagers and the police pulled up really fast and jumped out of their car. So I just kind of backed away and all the kids and all the workers stopped and we watched and they're searching them and finding guns and knives and drugs on these teenagers we're just talking to because it's just prevalent everywhere. Uh, but we do the Bible clubs there and it gives us opportunity to get to know the children and get to know the parents. Another possible ministry opportunity for us is CVs. CV is another word there, they call it curricula I can't even say something like that. It's the same thing as our resume, but there they call it a CV. So what has happened is over the time of being there, people will come to me and they'll say, Pastor, you have a computer and you know these things. Can you help me with my CV, with my resume? I need to get a job. I'm not finding work and my CV doesn't look right. So we've developed a pattern, looked online and found something easy for us, but not so easy for many people and found out a pattern and would just work through this with him. So now I have like six or seven or eight different people's CVs on my computer. And our church isn't that big, so every now and then somebody will call and say, Pastor, I need to do another CV, but I want to add something to it. Can you add this for me? They know that I have it on my computer and they don't have a laptop sitting at home. But because that is a common event, even among our young adults, it gave us the idea that maybe we could, as a church, and we've talked about this and something you could pray about, but an opportunity for us to maybe rent a little facility for a weekend and say, on Saturday, we're going to be here and we'll help you do your CV and send out an advertisement and help us get to know different people because they always want to work on their CV so they can get another job or a better job or even get a job. And it might give us opportunities to then talk to them. So that's another opportunity. Uh, tutoring. We'd like to see um, tutoring started and we 
we're not able to pursue this because of the COVID regulations, but uh, my daughter Anna is interested in helping with this, whether we do music kind of things or helping with school tutoring uh, classes, that we would have opportunities with these family, not just to help the fourth grader read who hasn't learned to read yet, but something that would give us opportunity spiritually with them. So even here, there are so many opportunities. We did a live nativity this year. This is our first time. My wife worked on some of the costumes. You saw some of the videos, I think, where we were doing that. We did it for my neighbors first as a practice, and then we went to the community where our church is, and we did it there. And um, it seemed to be well received. Everybody was coming to that. Uh, so that's something that was uh, a good thing. We didn't have to do a whole lot of speaking. We pre-recorded it to play it on loudspeaker so they could hear it because we were afraid our people might not speak up in their parts when it came time. Uh, offer a Bible study. You could talk to somebody that you meet and maybe say, or somebody you work with, and say, hey, do you think maybe we could just spend uh, one time a week, just a few minutes, to look over a Bible verse or a neighbor that shares a burden with you, you could say, do you mind if I come by sometime this week and pray with you? These are ways of developing relationships because what is our goal? Christ formed in you. Uh, so there's so many opportunities that we could use. And if we keep that in mind, that it's not food, it's fellowship, and that Christ formed in people, the Lord will help us come up with the ideas that are suited for our place. Well, thank you again for listening to this. this is, these are the ideas that we have for reaching our community. Thank you for praying for us. Uh, final prayer request, you could pray for Jonathan. He's been looking for a Bible college. He and Anna right now are working on their um, driver's licenses and um, taking driver's ed uh, because then next year we'll come back for three months again and report to the rest of our churches, and then he'll be remaining behind. So you can pray the Lord would give him wisdom about where the Lord wants him for Bible college. We appreciate that. Thank you, folks. We love you, and we appreciate your ministry to us.